And every now and then, God just does something that you don't expect and uh, really didn't plan on. And uh, Turner Miles is one of those uh, sudden, uh, unexpected, wonderful surprises. Uh, he's a guy that uh, just has a true heart for the Lord. And uh, we have joined uh, arms and hearts with him uh, to begin a ministry here that I think is very important uh, to our church, to our future. I shared this uh, last week that, that um, God has given me a real vision to uh, look at our uh, young generation, uh, the young adults, the millennials uh, around us, and hand off leadership to these people who will take us into the next generation of the kingdom and what God wants to do. And Turner's a, a person who has just mentored and taught and encouraged young adults. And uh, now he's part of our team here. And start, we started a young adult uh, service last Monday night. It's going to happen again tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And I think it's 7. And um, whatever time it is, that's what time it is to be here. Um, and... Uh, I just, I'm so, so happy that Turner and the Miles family are part of Destiny Church. Where are the Miles family? Where are you guys? Right here. Yeah, let's welcome them. So glad you're here. And by the way, uh, for those of you young adults who aren't aware of this, in fact, any others who want to participate, uh, if you want to give to that ministry, it's a startup ministry. We're, we're starting from scratch. If you want to help out with that, uh, you can go online, go to the kiosk, test, uh, text to give to our young adult ministry and, and uh, help us get that off the ground. Uh, that would be wonderful. So, hey, without me talking anymore, um, other than Barry Manilow, if you want to talk about that, I'll meet you in the lobby. That was so good. Uh, would you guys give it up for Turner Miles? Well, good morning, everyone. What Greg failed to uh, let you know was that there was also another concert in town that someone that was more my age would understand in that it was Def Leppard and Journey. They were, they were, right, yeah. So, you know, I mean, Barry Manilow is cool and all. Um, anyways, hey, I'm so glad to be here this morning. This is exciting and it's monumental for my family and for myself and I just appreciate all the kind words and the warm welcome. We are continuing in our, our uh, series called My Big Fat Mouth, and so uh, our anchor verse for, that, uh, for this series is Proverbs 18.21, and it says that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And if you were here last week when we started off, Brody uh, got us kicked off on this series, and he was talking about the topic of criticism. Now, as I was getting settled in in my new role here at Destiny and I was getting to know all the other people on staff, the pastors and all, uh, one of the things that was enjoyable for me was beginning to understand how things work and just get adjusted to senses of humor and all of those things, which there is a real sense of humor that is here. Um, it, make, make no doubt about that. But, but uh, I began to realize that Brody was put in charge of organizing the schedule for the teaching for this series, and uh, he put himself as the one who would teach on criticism, which is what we talked about last week, which is, was an awesome job, by the way. I think Brody did a, f a fantastic job. But one of the things that you have to understand is that when you teach a message like that, and then you, as the listener, leaves, there's one thing you can't do when you hear that message. You can't criticize it. Because if you criticize it, guess what? you sinned. And there you go. 
And so it all became crystal clear to me what Brody was doing. He was giving himself the nice and easy message to give. And he was giving me my topic, which is lying. We're going to be talking about lying this morning, which is always a fun thing. I told my wife, I was joking with her, I said, you know, it's pretty simple. I could just basically say, lying's bad, don't do it. And that would be the whole sermon. And we could all leave and it would be great. You have everything you need to know about it. But hopefully, as we look at this topic a little deeper this morning, when we walk away from here, we will be able to grasp a little bit more of what God's heart is on the topic and also understand why it's important for God's people to be a people of the truth and a people that understand and desire and live in the truth that God provides. Amen? If you don't mind, can we just pray before I get started this morning? Father, I thank you this morning for the time of worship. It was amazing and wonderful, and your Holy Spirit is certainly in this place, and we give thanks to you for that. And we just ask, God, that you would help for this message time, that, Lord, anyone that's in here this morning that needs to be encouraged or corrected or just uh, sense your touch, Lord God, I pray that that would be available to them. I pray that hearts would be open. I pray that you would use your word and that, Lord, our lives would be shaped even closer to the image of Jesus. And, God, I pray for any person in here this morning who has come in and who does not know you, that, Lord, this would be a moment where they can come to know you clearly, surrender their life to you, and then find new life in Jesus. And so, God, I pray you do these things by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me as I teach, and we invite you here in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So, uh, so now that I've thrown Brody under the bus sufficiently, um, and I will have to grope at his feet and probably give him lunch next week sometime to make up for it, but uh, it was sufficient for this. Uh, I just want to say that uh, Proverbs, 8, uh, Proverbs 18 there has a, a very, it's such a small verse, but it's so powerful. And it's powerful because it really speaks to the power of words. And so many times in our lives, we fail to recognize the power that words have over our lives and over the lives of people that are around us, our children, um, even our coworkers and friends. Uh, I was reminded the power of words just recently. My wife and I, were, uh, we were watching Netflix a few nights ago, and there was a show on with David Letterman where he's interviewing different people. And he was interviewing Howard Stern, the shock jock. Some of you guys may know of him on XM Radio. And um, he actually had a stint when I was in like middle school where he was on DC 101 around here. And uh, so he's been around forever. He's made literally hundreds of millions of dollars off of the words that he's spoken and that he speaks. But he mentioned something in that interview that really surprised me. He said that growing up as a young man, his mom would always tell him that words had no meaning and they had no power over anyone. And so he had this understanding, he grew up, where the words that were being spoken to him or about him or that he would even speak did not have power. They didn't have any consequences. They didn't, have, they didn't mean anything. But on the flip side of that, he would watch because his dad was actually in radio uh, industry as well. And he would watch as his father would come home and he would just boast about all of these individuals that he would meet who were famous celebrities. At the, he would meet them at the radio station and he would laud them about how they, were so, how, how they were so awesome and how much he respected them. And all of them were connected to what they were viewed in the public life, the things that they were saying and doing. And so I'm sure it was some sort of weird tension that he felt there. But he decided that because he had seen his dad and he had 
understood that his dad held all these men in, in such great respect, these people in such great respect, that he wanted to get into that industry so somehow he could earn the love of his father. So for him to hear from his mom, words don't matter, they have no power, but then see the effect on his dad, and it literally drove him to the career that he chose, in which he's done very well and he's been very successful. I would say that based just on that story alone, that words do matter. In fact, even more importantly than that, truth matters. Amen? And so when we looked at criticism, we were talking about how our words and how we, have, how we can begin to speak into people's lives in ways that can either build them up or tear them down, and how ourselves can either be built up or torn down based on what is said over us or to us. And lying has a similar effect in the lives of individuals. I'm going to go deeper into this in a minute, but we are all products of lying in some way or another. We are all part and partial. No one has escaped lying. No one has escaped being lied to. It's pretty clear. We all know this. In fact, if you live in the world today, it just becomes sort of second nature that you're going to be a part of a lying or some, you're going to lie or say a small white lie. Guys, right? Am I right? When your wife says, does this make me look fat? <laughs> no. You look great. Which you do, by the way. You all look fantastic. Um, I won't even get to the point are some lies worthy. Um, that's just a deep philosophical thing I don't want to go into. But uh, we hear them every day. For instance, uh, when you're on that phone with Verizon or AT&T, your call is important to us. Please stay on the line. Now, what they're saying is your money is important to us. That's what they're really saying. Or when you're online, like recently, you know, click the box that says, I have read and agree to all of the, <laughs> the terms and conditions, right? We, we've been going through that lately with all this, some new rule that changed. All of a sudden, everything I go to, every website, it's like, click to agree, the cookies and stuff. And I'm like, where's the cookies everyone's talking about? Because I'm not getting any cookies, but I'm clicking agree all the time, and they're not showing up. Um, there you go, good. Right. <laughs> You'll get my humor, thanks. Um, or uh, how about this one? Only one more ep episode, then I'll get back to studying, right? Uh, last bite. I promise. Liar. Uh, I'm on my way. I'll be there in five minutes. As you're trying to find your clothes you're going to wear. Uh, I've, done, I've done the homework, but I forgot my notebook at home. No one's ever said that. How about this one? Literally... Any word that comes out of the mouth of a politician. I'm just saying. So we are, we are faced with lying all the time, all day long. It's just inevitable that it's a part of our life and our culture and, and humanity in general. And so the fact that we know this, I just want to dig in a little deeper and answer this question. Why do people lie? What is the reason that people feel compelled to deceive or to withhold honesty or to lead people astray in some way or another. And we, uh, I found online a study that came out of the University of Oakland in 2015. It was, a ten, it was the result of a 10-year study that they did to try and scientifically determine why people lie. Now, as most of these secular studies uh, work, they really don't give you the reason why. They basically tell you the symptoms. And they never get to the, the root of it. But these are, there's three basic things that they came up with that are a reason 
that people would lie. The first was that, and it was the majority of percentages, was to promote yourself. In fact, 44% of the time that someone lies, they are, they are trying to promote themselves in some fashion or another. In other words, they want to gain some kind of economic advantage. You know, like uh, maybe when you're going to the used car dealership. Right? Or uh, some personal advantage. They want to have some uh, benefit to them personally beyond finances. Uh, or self-impression. Um, this one is a, is a huge one for adolescents. They want to be accepted and loved, and so they will shape an image of themselves that doesn't accurately portray who they are. And so they'll use that, they'll lie to try and shape that for someone else that's around them. And then lastly, the one that I don't really mind too much is humor. Uh, I don't mind if someone's going to tell me a little lie here and there to make me laugh. I like laughing, and so do you. But there can be a negative side of that as well. The second way that people will lie, that they've determined through this study, was that 30, 36% of the time, people will lie to cover over a mistake or a misdeed. And I would have thought that that would have been higher. I thought that that would have been a, a much greater percentage of the time. But I think what happens is, is you face this as a young parent with little kids, right? And am I wrong? You don't have to teach anyone how to lie. Have you ever had to tell your kids, like, you know, tell the truth? <laughs> yeah, you have to tell them, tell the truth, because it's our natural bent to be deceptive, to lie. And so uh, one of the ways that we try to lie is to protect ourselves and to cover up a mistake. Like, I didn't eat the ho-ho. I went to school today. So those are two, two statements there that I'm going to share with you real quick, personal statements. One is with my wife, and one is with me, and I'll let you determine which one belongs to who <laughs> later. But there was an individual who was small, maybe six or seven years old, and uh, their mom decided that they were going to buy ho-hos and have them in the pantry. And so there was a rule in the house that you weren't allowed to eat between meals, like snack between meals, which is a great rule. And, uh, and so this individual's mother was occupied with some friends or something, and she went upstairs and she saw the individual who had chocolate all around their mouth. And she looked, the mother looked at the individual, and the individual said, I didn't eat a ho-ho. <laughs> as plain as day, as crystal clear, like... It was just fact. You could build a bridge on that truth. <laughs> there was another individual who was probably about 17 years old, and this individual was in high school, and this individual decided one day that him and his buddies... Oh, I think I gave it away. Oops. Well, now you know. I decided to skip school. I wasn't saved, by the way. I'll just add that to it. It was about six months before I became a Christian. Decided to skip school, went the whole day, left early. I think my buddy and I went to a rock quarry and swam or something. I can't remember what we did. And it was just, it was like the end of the school year. It was great. And uh, I come home, and my mom is in the driveway washing her car. Now, that was a strange sight for two reasons. Number one, she worked, and she should have been at work, not at home. And so as I'm walking up the driveway, things are starting to crystallize for me. And the math is adding up, and I realize I've been caught, red-handed. And she looks at me, and she goes, how was school? <laughs> how was school, son? You know, and she was just like 
angry and, you know, and, and God bless her. She's a single mom raising several kids on her own. God bless her. I wasn't the easiest kid. And I simply looked at her and said, it was great. <laughs> it, that was like one of those things where it's like the fourth quarter, there's two seconds left, you're down by six, and you just throw it up. You're just like, Ugh. we'll see what happens. Maybe somebody will catch it. Maybe she'll believe it. But obviously I was lying, and obviously she knew I was lying. And so I was in my attempts to cover up my mistake or my misdeed or the avoidance of the truth. I lied to her, to her face, and I was caught up. But it's still not as bad as eating a ho-ho and lying about it. <laughs> I'll just leave that there. And then the last reason that scientists discover that people will lie are to impact others. About 11% of the time when someone lies, they, are, they have some reason that's going to impact another individual. And so, for instance, it could be altruistic. In other words, they want to help someone out, and so they might lie to them to try and help them in some fashion. Uh, sometimes there's a percentage that is malicious, where they actually are trying to hurt them in some way, and they want to impact them in a negative way. And then there's a last lie that, that they will tell, which would be for social or, or to be polite, and it's really to uphold a social role or to avoid rudeness. Um, and sometimes it's to avoid uh, even the idea of conflict or the idea of just interaction. And I actually like to say that if you're an introvert, you probably use that lie quite a bit for avoidance, to escape, to, to not have to confront or talk to somebody. And if you have an introvert in your life, you know that they are probably like, yeah, well, okay, so it's part of my life. <laughs> That's what I do. So, but we know about why people lie in a surface area. But then what does the Lord have to say about lying? What are the things that he would say that have to do with lying? And so regardless of why someone lies, what is what the Lord says? And, and when you get to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, it says that the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And when you get to that word detest, when it says the Lord detests lying lips, that word detest from the Hebrew, it literally means toava, which is the same word used to describe something being morally disgusting, repulsive, or even nauseous. So God would say that the Lord is nauseous from lying lips. He gets them sick to his stomach, but he delights in those who are trustworthy. He goes on to say in Proverbs 14, verse 5, An honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. He also says in Psalm 51, verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So we know that God has an opinion about lying, and we know that God has some sense about lying, that when he experiences lying in the life of some, an individual, that it makes it sick to his stomach, it makes him nauseous, and there's a, a very specific reason for this, because God is the truth, and he lives in the truth, and truth comes from him. In fact, when you get into the book of Ephesians, he talks about how a believer, someone who follows Christ, so if you identify as a follower of Christ this morning, someone who is a Christian, he gives us a clear example of how we should be living. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, he says, So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And that comes out of the book of Exodus where he gives the Ten Commandments, where he says you should be honest with your neighbor. In other words, don't tell lies. And so he says, if you're a believer in here, stop telling lies. Be honest 
with each other. And he says it because we are all parts of the same body. It's as though when we lie to one another as believers, as Christians, we are actually inflicting harm on ourselves. Because if you are my brother or you are my sister and we are all part of the the universal body of Christ, so to say, when I lie to you, I'm actually hurting you, but I'm hurting myself. And so when God says it makes makes him sick to his stomach, we can begin to understand why he would detest a lying tongue. Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that we have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so Paul writes in the book of Colossians that part of the old self, that nature of you that is pre-Christian, pre-touched by God's Holy Spirit, pre-made new, that that was a practice that was done away with when you became new and you should continue to put on that which is new and it is going to reflect and be the image of its creator, Jesus himself. And so when we begin to look at why people lie and then we begin to look at what God thinks about lying, I think it's important to connect those two for us in here this morning. In particular, if you are a Christian. So where did lying come from then? If we understand, you know, why people lie, where did it come from? And you have to go all the way back into the book of Genesis to the very beginning. Because in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, we see the Adam and Eve and Satan in the Garden of Eden story. And it says in chapter 3, verse 1, that it says the serpent was more crafty, make a note of that word, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, this is what he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So if you don't know the story or you're not familiar with it, God had created man and he had given him this wonderful environment to live in, the garden of Eden. And in the garden of Eden, God, man, God and man had a perfect relationship. They were in union together. We are told that through the book of Genesis that in the cool of the day that Adam would walk with God and that God would walk with him. And so that would be probably in the morning and maybe in the evening God would hang out and Adam would hang out. And he had given Adam these specific tasks to do in the garden to name the creatures and to tend the garden of Eden. And, and so it was a paradise and it was without sin. It was full of love. God's presence was there. There was nothing separating God's presence from man. And what happens is that one day Satan shows up in the form of a serpent and God had given Adam and Eve a specific instruction, do not eat from the the tree of knowledge of good and evil that is in the center of the garden. That was the only rule that he had in regards to what he couldn't do. Adam had full reign to do all these other things. And then Satan comes to Adam and Eve and he poses to Eve the one question which is a deception in itself, and he says, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? You see what's connected to it? And I just want to help you understand something for a minute. A half-truth is still a no-truth. Satan is very crafty. And the way that he will deceive people is sometimes he will take a nugget of lie and embed it with the truth so that it doesn't come out as a complete lie 
but part of it is a lie, and if you cling to that, it's going to have an effect on your life. He's very crafty in the way he does it. He did this with Eve. In fact, he said, did he say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? It was actually one single tree, and he was leading her astray. So we see that lying comes from Satan at the origin. He wanted to ruin God's creation. And he still wants to do that today, by the way. He has not stopped doing that. In fact, later on, when you get into the Gospels, Jesus makes it clear in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. He says, and you want to carry out your father's desire. And then he speaks this about Satan. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so when God speaks of Satan, he refers, Jesus refers back to the garden that Satan is the father of lies. So we know the origin. Satan actually said to Eve, he said, you will not certainly die. That's what he said to Eve. He says, first, did God really say? And then she says, well, he said we couldn't eat from this. And then he says, well, you won't certainly die. And she's like, yeah, he said we die if we eat it. In fact, he tries to deceive her in such a way that he would bring forth what would corrupt the rest of humanity. A lie is what set it all off kilter for the rest of history. Lies are important. Lies do matter. But more importantly that, the truth matters. So it doesn't take long after Adam and Eve fall and believe the lie. Then we begin to see lying taking place later on. When you get to, uh, when you get to Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, check this out. It says, now Cain, who was Adam's son, it says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? Listen to what he says. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so you see the story of Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve. So they believe a lie, Adam and Eve. And then you have one, literally, their children, their offspring, are beginning to lie themselves. It had corrupted humanity, it had gone through. You see the inception, and now you see the practice. And Cain and Abel were... Uh, Cain was in, in jealous of his brother because they had given an offering to God and God accepted Abel's sacrifice better than he did Cain's. And Cain decided, well, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I'm going to kill him and I'm going to take his life. And that's exactly what he does. He lures him out into the field and he kills him. And then when he's confronted by God about that murder, he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He lied to God. Now, God knows everything. In fact, God speaks to him and says, I hear your brother's blood calling out from the ground. So God shares with him, I know what you did. Interestingly enough, before he goes to murder his brother, God speaks to him and says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. He knew what was in Cain's heart. He knew that Cain was jealous. He knew that he was hurt. And he knew what the potential was that Cain could do and he gave him an opportunity to confront it by telling him, it's crouching at your door. Don't let it 
in. Don't let it in. So now we see that lying has made its way into all of humanity. It's, it's part of the corruption. It's part of the fall. And the effects of lies are clear. That this ability to tangle up a person like a spider web, soon we find ourselves so tangled that we have no way of getting out. And lies are like webs that in that they will keep us bound. Have you ever noticed that when you've spoken a lie to someone, you have to then go and continue to keep that lie up? You have to do maintenance on the lie and you have to remember everything you said and you have to continue to, to, to work hard at making sure that what was said was holding to that storyline and that the truth doesn't come out. And what it is, is you are now in a web of lies. You've probably heard that phrase before. And the lies that entangle you, to keep them up, you just build more and more webs. And what happens is you become like an insect that is tangled in a web. And you are bound up. And just like an insect in a web, you have no way of setting yourself free. In fact, all of humanity is bound up in a web called sin. And it has its origins being rooted in the deception that came from Satan. So we've been plunged headlong into a sinful condition that we could never untangle ourselves by our own power. We, you know, just like an insect, we're stuck in this thing and the more we move around, the more we try and, and, and position ourselves and jockey and, and add to the story, we just make it worse. It just gets stronger. It just holds us in deeper bondage. And some of us today are wondering, how am I going to get set free? You've been maneuvering, you've been trying, and you find yourself in a position right now where you're desperate, and you feel like you can't set yourself free. Sometimes we think that religion will set us free. Well, if I just hold to these rules and obey these rules and, and these regulations that I'll be good and that I'll be set free. But we realize that every rule we make is just a temptation to be broken. And every rule we make, we find that we just end up breaking them anyways. In the same way that having a speed limit doesn't stop speeders from speeding, rules can't keep you from sinning. And that's exactly what the law represents. The law that was given from God where he actually says don't give falsehood to your neighbor. We can't, we can't keep ourselves from doing that. And so religion is saying, here's a bunch of rules, good luck. And there's no possible way that we can live up to the rules and the standards that God has made. And so we mistake that religion can somehow set a person free. Or maybe we mistakenly believe that being a good person will set us free. That maybe it's not about rules, it's about the heart. Just, I want to be noble, I want to do good deeds, I want, to, I want to be a kind person. All of those things are great and noble and we should strive for those regardless, but no matter how good you are, unfortunately you will never be good enough to be set free. No matter how good you are, you will never be good enough to be set free. If goodness is the way out, who determines how good is good? 
Well, is it me or is it you? Or is it Mother Teresa? Who is the standard? Well, I want you to know that there is a standard and God is the standard. That the truth is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the requirement to inhabit heaven is perfection, that you must be perfect, that you must be sinless. And unfortunately, we have all fallen short of that. And so it's an impossible standard. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough to meet the standard. And God full well knows that. But God also provides a way out. So that's the picture. Let's look at it. Here's humanity. We're stuck in a web of sin. It came from Satan. We took the bait and it's perpetuated itself through all of humanity. And now here we are, stuck in this web of sin. You're born into it. You can't get out of it on your own effort. In fact, the more you try, the more tangled it becomes. But God says, I have an answer. I have a way. I have a truth. In fact, those are the exact words that Jesus says in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made a confession in John chapter 14 that he is the door to heaven, the road to heaven, the way to heaven. He is that way, the truth, and he is the life that you're looking for. And no one can get there except through him. Not next to him, not following him, but through him. He goes on to say in John 8.32 that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says very clearly that you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if he says, I'm the way and I am the truth, speaking of himself, and then he says to you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, then the truth this morning for all of us in here is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus came in and he fulfilled those two things. He fulfilled the religious requirements of all the Ten Commandments. You and I would never be able to do it, but Jesus did that for us in his sinless life. He upheld every letter of the law. He never broke one of the Ten Commandments. He was an innocent man, completely innocent in the eyes of God. He had never sinned. And he was also good enough in the sense that in his sinless life, he gave his sinless life for you and I this morning so that we could receive a free gift to be removed from that tangled web of sin and be brought into a new kingdom, a new way of living that God desires for all of us this morning. And so maybe you're in here this morning and you're desperate and this whole topic of lying, you're realizing that you have bought a lie yourself that you thought religion or being good enough or some other method would get you to where God wants you, which is to be with Him in heaven heaven for all eternity. And God's bringing you face to face with the reality that you can't do it yourself, but he has provided a way for you and he's given his very son for you as a free gift. This is good news, isn't it? This sets us free because he who knows the son is set free and he who the son sets free is free indeed. You can be released from the web of sin this morning and you can receive the truth of salvation that comes through God And stop believing the lie that so much of the world has believed and taken part of. 
And you can experience knowing God, maybe for the first time ever, this morning. And so as we close here, I want to just take a moment. And I want you to pray with me. And I want to encourage you to receive this free gift of salvation that God offers to you. So that you can be set free. As an, and as I stated in the beginning of our message, our words matter. And God tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, He says, I de- If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're in here this morning and you've never, ever made that confession of faith that you trust in the work of God for salvation. And so let's, if you wouldn't mind, let's all pray.